Hi, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Miranda Materi, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. Today, we're talking about one of our harder diagnoses to help patients with, that's ulnar-sided wrist pain. We have an entire CEU course on this that's like an hour and a half or two hours, tons of content. We're gonna try to cover it in less than 10 minutes. So let's see what we can knock out. Yeah, let's get it. So what do you start with for like, uh, they, a patient walks in, they've complaining about pain on the ulnar side of the wrist. Maybe it's just a referral cons for conservative management before an arthroscopy or something like that. What do you start with? What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So first I'll start by interviewing them. Like what activities are bothering them? Um, what they, you know, how long has it been bothering them for some of their, have they had a distal radius fracture in the past? You know, some of those like basic things that we would ask. And then from there, usually I think I have a pretty good idea. Like I'm like, Oh, this is probably TFCC. So if I suspect TFCC, then I would do um, the weight-bearing test and see how much weight they can put through that side. And then I always compare to the other side, right? Because sometimes people just don't have um, a lot of strength or a lot of tolerance with weight-bearing. So that's probably the first thing I would do. And then I would look for any ECU subluxation, maybe do the ECU synergy test. Um, and then based on those factors, kind of come up with my plan of care of what I'm going to be doing with them. Um, what about you? Did you say that way or is it a little different than mine? Yeah, very similar. Very similar. Um, I'm going to go through some provocative testing. I'll do like a fovea test and press in to see if it's uh, pain with palpation pressing in that um, that ulnar side of the wrist and that gap in there. Um, I may do, um, I, I like the press off test on the arms of the chair. Um, sometimes I'll even use the, the weight bearing test is the wrist widgets good standardized well supported by research version where you're pressing on an analog scale in a four point position or at a tabletop um, trying to get a gauge of at what level of load on the scale do they have pain i like a press off test because they're it, it's usually right in front of me i don't have to go get the scale and pull it out and get them on the floor or at the table i can just say hey push yourself up out of that chair a little bit and if they have load with that that's likely like a central disc or central fibers um, TFCC injury, that kind of stuff is very telling. I'll do like some ballotment tests contralateral to see if they have a big laxity from radial and uh, that distal radial ulnar joint, one side versus the other, maybe even piano key just to get. So those things are all very quick. And within 10 or 30 seconds, you can have an idea of instability, location of pain, some of those things to match with that history. Yeah, I think sometimes there's so much things, so many things that could be going wrong, right, on that side of the wrist. So it's nice yeah. that you can go through some of those tests pretty quickly. Yeah, and this is one where I will do more provocative tests than almost any other diagnosis, just because each one of them is going to get a little different thing. In our continuing course, we talk about the ice cream scoop test and all these different things. And so there's great little like tests that tease out all these little different structures, but sometimes it's just, it hurts over there. It just hurts and they can't isolate and locate and your, your provocative testing doesn't give you a response. What do we do then? Yeah. And I guess the other thing too, is to rule out, do they have, you know, FCU tendonitis, you know, it could be just something simple like a tendonitis as well. So yeah. Yeah. So we'll do tendinopathy testing for whether it's um, static load, isometric load, or if it's eccentric loading to ECU, FCU is really common source of that, uh, that pain. So lots of things to kind of check off there as boxes too. And then, so say you don't know, right? You've done all these special tests and you're still not sure, right? Because mm -hmm. that does happen sometimes. Um, typically, in those cases, what I like to do is have them rest it. So we might be doing, you know, an ulnar-sided wrist support where they're resting it and they're really trying to 
not overuse it so we can really get the inflammation to calm down, um, try to calm down all those structures. So then, and then once they're calmed down a little more and it's not so inflamed, a lot of times we'll have more success with some of our special tests. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they just need uh, in the moment to get it to calm down. So maybe whatever brought them into the clinic, driving might agitate it or writing on the paperwork might agitate it. Just sitting and relaxing for a while, maybe some, some time in the heat that will calm down some of that associated pain. So you can really pinpoint some of those things a little better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how do you move forward with um, treatment for these patients? And, and then how much does your treatment differ for a tendinopathy versus say a TFCC injury, TFC injury, how much does it vary? So if I can, if I can isolate it as a tendinopathy, I'll treat it like I treat a lot of tendinopathies, whether it's uh, lateral epicondylalgia or decor veins or one of those, we're going to start with rest and immobilize to protect and keep that tendon from getting more agitated. I'll slowly progress over the course of about six weeks to wean out of that support or splint. Um, and I'll do some light tensile loading to remodel those collagen fibers from type three back to type one, um, do some soft tissue stuff, normal tendinopathy things. If I'm working on a suspected TFCC stuff, then we're in kind of a different plan. And we're telling that patient, you have to go slow, slower than you think. This is something that takes a long time. Those central fibers have little, almost no vascularity. Even the, um, the dorsal and volar radial ulnar ligaments of that TFCC, that the two arms of the triangle have very little blood supply. It's going to take a long time to heal and they have to be very patient. This is not one to, Hey, I felt better. So I tried playing the guitar again or whatever. Like when you feel better, give it two more weeks. And then we'll start talking about resuming some of the lightest activities. Yeah. And then when you're introducing activities, right? So once I think we're kind of ready, I'm only going to introduce one, right? So I'm going to say, you can do one thing, um, pick one thing, and then we'll see how you respond to that. Yeah. As opposed to doing like three different things and you have no idea what um, irritated it or made it worse. Yeah. And our treatment sessions in the clinic are not super exciting. They're not these like pulling everything off the shelf and putty and all these things. It's very basic, pain-free active range of motion and trying to get them moving healthy without aggravating it. And if in the middle of a task, I'm checking with them, not, not to be paranoid, but how's it feeling? Doing okay? Mm, this one's kind of achy. All right, let's take a break from that one and try something different. Ball rolling and spatula rotations and very basic stuff just to get some light circulation in there. Yeah. And then since if it's a TFCC injury, are you doing anything with proprioception? Yes. Big part of that. I love using proprioception. I was just reading some stuff on carpal kinematics and all of that and how much proprioception has a huge role in all of the ligament and muscle protections within that wrist joint. So proprioceptive activities are huge. Do you have some favorites for, um, for what you like to use? Yeah. You know, some of the things I like is like a gentle, like ball toss, you know, and there's so many different things you're like thinking people are afraid, right? After they injure their wrist, they're so afraid to toss a ball and catch it. So I have these like very light rubber balls where I'm just having them throw it up and catch it. Um, and it might be something where they're just doing palm up at first and they catch it palm up and then I might have them do palm down. And so we just kind of advance through these, um, ball exercises. Um, sometimes at home I'll have them like hold a plate and like roll a ball around or we do some home simulation stuff or even like the labyrinth game. I like that a lot on your phone that you can utilize. How about you? What are some of your favorite proprioception? 
Same kinds of things. Um, we have this Frisbee that we've modified. So it has a neutral grip handle on it. We have some things that are like, um, like we'll do um, dart throwers motion in a very short arc, holding an object like a ball. I feel like when you're holding something in your hand, some of those um, dart throwers or those movements just have more feedback to them, proprioceptive feedback. So you can do those things empty handed. You know, you could do a th- pretend ball. If you say, oh, I don't have a ball, just pretend. I'd like you to have an object. It gives you way more proprioceptive feedback on that. Yeah. Um, if a patient is beginning to tolerate a little bit of axial loading, we'll take our lightest power web and have them just hold a fist and do a gentle punch, only compressing that power web like an inch. Very, very light load. And that gives them some compression, some axial load feedback. And that gets all those ligaments stabilizing around those, uh, those carpal joints. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And same with it when they're doing the plate, you know, with their palm up, you have to kind of advance through that. Like you were saying, you know, neutral grip, you know, we usually start with something like that first and then advance up that way. So sometimes I like the tennis racket, you know, you can hold that in different positions yeah. or um, rack of pickleball. That's big here right now. Yeah. <laughs> and we've seen all kinds of versions of that. You can find tons of that on Instagram with people using cups with marbles and all kinds of stuff good things just to get some awareness and coordination. And that is very productive rehab down the road for that patient, just to get them confident and aware of where that joint is that can decrease their pain levels in and of itself. Yeah. So this is one last thing about this. When you're doing proprioceptive exercises with the patients, how do you explain it? Because a lot of times I feel like they don't have buy-in they're like, why am I swirling these balls around in a cup? So kind of tell me what your spill is that you give patients that we can share with our Mm -hmm. audience. I actually love using this for most of my patients. Uh, I just explained it to my last patient at five o'clock tonight. I said, you know, it's this activity is harder on this side, not just because the injury, but because your brain body connection is just off. Like you roll your ankle and you can't stand on that foot, like on one foot on that foot for a while because you just lose coordination there. We're just trying to reestablish that coordination. And so I'll have them try it with the uninjured side and say, look, this is super easy, not just because of pain levels, but you have good control over that hand. This hand is all wonky and just out of coordination. And so doing that reestablish the coordination. And then I like to throw in the phrase, lots of really good research shows that doing these kinds of tasks decreases pain that always motivates them and improves healing timelines. Those are the things that usually motivate patients. Well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. I think we're at our time. So um, we'll wrap it up. For more information, check us out at handtherapyacademy.com or email us info at handtherapyacademy.com.